Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. Today we'll be discussing four types of disciple-making environments. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Glad to be back with you guys. David, yeah, yeah. what's going on, man? Well, loving the World Cup. Really? Like you're a good pre- American? I think you're the only American that cares about it since no. America's not in it. No, no, no. Well, I am bummed that America's not in it, but we are hosting it in eight years, and traditionally the host country gets an automatic spot, so, so we have shame both. on us if we need it, <laughs> but if we need it, I think it's going to be there, uh, and uh, it's my determination to be at one of those matches. You know what? I think we should make it a goal right now. Bucket let's, list. Let's make a pact. Yes. We will be there. All right. If it's the, it's if recorded. The, if this podcast blows up, <laughs> I mean, there's a chance they may ask us to uh, sure. commentate on the game. Right. I think that's probably... We'd be as good as the guys on Fox Sports, I can tell you that much. Oh, absolutely. Probably Yeah, better. so loving the World Cup. You know, I'm trying to root for South Korea because I'm half South Korean, but they're they're not a great team, and they're in the group of death. they got to play Germany and Mexico, and they just lost to Sweden, so um, <laughs> that's not great. It's not looking good. And... Um, but I like England, too, because I'm a Premier League fan, so some of my favorite players are on the English team. And um, I just enjoy the drama of it all and, and uh, just watching the fans lose their mind. And um, It's just a level of desperation for these players trying to win something for their countries. It's just fun to watch. Yeah, I was pretty frustrated the other day. Actually, you and I were at the Y uh, on the treadmill running and watching the game. We watched, I don't know. A bunch of the game, and it was, of course, nil-nil, no scores, and then we get in the car and then find out in the 89th minute somebody scores and we miss the goal. So, Oh, yeah, that was Egypt and um, Argentina, I think. Yeah. 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 So the, the beauty and frustration of soccer, you could spend watch the whole game and yeah. no, no goals and then... But when they finally score, it's like all that pent-up energy, just screaming, yelling, ripping shirts <laughs> off. This was us at the gym. I mean, imagine what they were doing at the actual stadium. Right. It was it was a sight to see, I'll tell you that. Well, hey, today we want to talk about the four types of disciple-making environments. And we want to share, obviously this is not an exhaustive list, but we want to share uh, for you guys um, four different types that we've identified, and hopefully it'll be helpful for you to look at your environments that you're creating or trying to create and say, what are four distinct type of environments that I can create in order to intentionally make disciples. And uh, maybe we start off, Dave, by asking the question of why do we need different types of environments? Why is that essential in making disciples? Why can't we just have one good old classic Sunday morning sermon? Well, uh, first off, um, I'm all for the Sunday morning sermon as someone who preaches one every Sunday, uh, believes strongly in the role of teaching and preaching when the church gathers together. However, the model that Jesus gives us for discipleship is hardly contained to a church gathering. Um, and if discipleship is, is something that's supposed to make a difference in every last area of our lives, then it has to certainly um, invade more than just our Sunday mornings. And uh, I was listening to a podcast actually this morning. Joseph Grenny was giving a talk on um, how to inspire and motivate people to change their lives and behave differently. And he talked about the need not just to give people inspiration and motivation, but to provide them with the skills um, that they need to do what they want to do, but also the skills in um, uh, real-life environments. And so instead of just 
pulling people into a church service or calling the people in your organization, your company into a training. Um, we need to create uh, other environments where they actually live, work, and do life, but make those into disciple-making environments too. And so I think as long as we're overly reliant on the Sunday morning uh, disciple-making environment, which it is one, it is a disciple-making environment, but when we're overly reliant or solely reliant upon that, we miss the opportunity to help people live out their faith Monday through Saturday. Sure. Yeah, that's really good. And, and I think it's a challenge for all of us, especially if you're a leader who's a pastor, a teacher, communicates to... Um, so, you know, sometimes we undervalue, I think, the cumulative effect of preaching over time. Mm-hmm. It creates culture. But we certainly overvalue the um, the effect of one sermon in one week, right? Yeah. And we can, because we've spent so much time on it and put so much energy into it, we feel like this should just change, this should turn someone from a non-believer to a fully formed disciple. This is such a powerful word God gave me. Well, and we live in a culture now, too, where everybody is like tweeting about the sermon they just heard or, or tweeting about a sermon they listened to online, and it's always some like life-changing message. Um, you know, I don't even know all the terms they use anymore, that that message was lit. Is that something people yeah, say? I don't know what these young, young people ins- are saying. Young ins- I don't know. That message was lit. Um, you know, everybody's uh, preaching these little tweetable phrases, and, and it's just kind of become like um, really um, this highly – a charged environment where you're supposed to get something that's going to sustain you f- until you can get it again next Sunday. It's yeah. really such an unhealthy way to approach discipleship. Right. So we're going to lay out four environments, and the hope is that um, obviously that your preaching partnered or coupled with these different environments becomes so much more powerful and so much more effective in creating disciples. So uh, let's get started. Give us uh, give us kind of the overview. We kind of have two broad yeah. Buckets, right? And then within each of these buckets are two subcategories. Well, this is really, um, this is something I'm starting to use in the local church and something I've had conversations with um, a couple of different people about who are leading in other environments like a college university, Christian college university, and um, even at the national level, I've talked with some youth ministry people about this metaphor. I don't want to say it's original to me, but I'm not 100% sure where I heard it from. From You heard it from me. From the Spirit, probably. Um, but what I like about this metaphor is it's, it's, it's visual. So you can literally walk into a room and almost see it, right? So here it is. Uh, I like to say that discipleship happens face-to-face and shoulder-to-shoulder. So face-to-face and shoulder-to-shoulder. And then under each of those sort of two, you take those two metaphors, underneath each of them, are really two categories. So discipleship happens face-to-face vertical and face-to-face horizontal. And then discipleship happens shoulder-to-shoulder facing in and shoulder-to-shoulder facing out. So face-to-face vertical, face-to-face horizontal, shoulder-to-shoulder facing in, shoulder-to-shoulder facing out. All right, that's great. Let's break down that first one, right? Face-to-face. Yeah, so face-to-face vertical is the idea of your face to the face of God. Um, and that discipleship that happens in community and at church and with other people, but never actually works its way into your personal relationship with God. So that th- that that's not really what God has in mind. That's not really what the Bible teaches us. So there has to be some what we would call spiritual disciplines and some spiritual uh, rhythms to our lives. And the big ones, of course, are uh, reading the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, prayer. 
um, spiritual discipline even of silence and meditation and reflection, spiritual discipline of generosity and giving. Um, and so this, this is a crucial disciple-making environment that we're training people and equipping people to have their own personal devotional time. Yeah, I think that's so important. And one of the someone who's been a big influence on me in this area has been Dick Brogdon. You know, he talks a lot about abiding in Christ. And he actually, I remember making a statement um, that he said the number one key to being an effective disciple maker is your ability to abide in Christ, mm-hmm. like your personal relationship with Jesus. And he lays out a, a really good scriptural example for it and then talks about his experience on the ministry field and basically says, like, you know, abiding in Christ or spending time with Jesus every day is not just about, uh, certainly not about some sort of Christian um, rule or box you got to check in order to be a good Christian, but it's actually even more than just about your personal own uh, ability to see the gospel clearly in your life, realign your, your gospel identity, which is essential. I mean, it's a big part of it, but it's also attached to a mission. It's attached to our ability to reach other people, reach lost people. Um, and he basically says that the greatest gift that you can give to the people you interact with is how much did you abide in Christ? Because then out of that overflow will affect them. And that was just a really a different way for me to think about it. I always thought about it as all about me, kind of, you know, so internal. Yeah, so I, I remember growing up and hearing messages about the difference between doing things for God versus just being with God. And the truth is, is that it much it's much more... Um, uh, we tend to get more notice, applause, and attention for the things that we do for him, right? No one's really celebrating the time we spend alone with him. right? And so if we're wired to be celebrated as leaders and to be noticed, we're going to always be just trying to figure out how do I do more things for him that are visible, that people can see and celebrate. There's not necessarily anything externally rewarding about just being with him, certainly not uh, people on the outside coming along and patting us on the back. And so I think, you know, for me as a pastor, it's easy to get in the office on a Tuesday morning and just immediately get cranky on stuff. Yeah. You know, I got to work on my message because everybody's going to hear it and they're going to, they're, you know, people are going to be there, don't know Jesus and they need to hear Jesus and hear about Jesus. And I, or I start uh, replying to emails or working on the website or, you know, all sorts of different things I can be doing. And I can go day, I can go days without really having quality time, just me and Jesus. And I know in a sense, you know, I say like, uh, in, in a sense, we can have him have time with him all the time. Like he wants to fill every moment of our days. And we don't have to sort of dichotomize our lives between times where the Spirit's at work in us and times where... But there's also this principle in Scripture of like getting away like Jesus did. He modeled this for us. He would get away to a solitary, quiet place. And he talked about going into the closet, this sort of metaphor for separating yourself even from the distractions around you, which nowadays really is our phones, right? So getting even away from our phones, and and as I'm saying this, I know I'm terrible at this, but this need, and it's not immediately rewarding. I mean, maybe for some people it is, but it isn't always for me. It's not easy. Uh, it's a chore. It doesn't happen on accident. You know, you don't. It's just like physical growth. You don't wake up one morning with a six pack and you're like, "How did that happen?" You know, that's <laughs> I'm that, still holding out hope. I know. That's that's years of determination and effort and work on our part. Same way, like we want to bear fruit. We want to have patience with our kids. Um, we want to be kind towards strangers, but we find ourselves unable to. And we think, what's the issue? 
Yeah. There's no root, you know, no fruit, no root. And so this need to abide, um, it really comes from also a place, I think, of deep humility, recognizing that nothing I can do actually makes a difference outside of what God's doing through me. Yeah. And a quick note, and we'll move on to the next one, is I think for young leaders uh, who grew up in a maybe a legalistic culture, the temptation is to to dismiss spiritual disciplines as being legalism. Yeah. You know, and going, ah. And I remember that there's a time in my life where I felt that way of like, yeah, that's important, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to be tied down to that. But And then what you all of a sudden realize to your point that you just made is there, you know, legalism is a matter of the motivation of your heart. It's not about the act, right? Yeah. It's about your motivation. Why are you doing that act? And so spiritual discipline has great wisdom because the idea that we can just go based on our feelings mm-hmm. is absolute ludicrousy, right? We know that. You can't, you're going to wake up every morning and rarely are you going to feel like doing sure. a lot of things that you should do. But yet wisdom tells us if we discipline ourselves in this, to your point, we'll, we'll have some strong roots that carry us when we need them. Yeah, I think it's Dallas Willard who said grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like you were describing, somebody who grew up with a lot of rules, they immediately just reject these spiritual disciplines as being a burden. These are not intended to be burdens. They're intended to be joys mm. and really gifts from God. And um, the truth is, is that even if we're in these other disciple-making environments that we're going to describe, if this one's not a part of our lives, then the chances are the other three are actually something other than what we think they are. They're actually not developing in us what we think they are. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's move on to the second part. Okay, so <clears throat> the first one was face-to-face vertical, and then the second one is face-to-face horizontal. And this is the idea of one-on-one um, conversation. Now, some people will call this mentoring. Some people will call this spiritual coaching. Um, I'm sure there's other terms that, that people use, counseling, advice, Um but I think this is the idea that you give somebody in your life the um, invitation to meet with you regularly, speak into your life regularly, and really just invest in you. And this maybe is the big missing piece in a lot of local churches. We, we're a little bit better at the large group and the small group environment. But this idea of facilitating and connecting people with each other for the purpose of discipleship, this may be a season, too. It may be like, actually... Um, a great example in my own church recently there's a young man who said I need somebody to speak into my life and I immediately thought of you I went through the entire list I asked 12 people they all said no and then I asked you, <laughs> I asked you. Oh, I'm thankful to be number 13 <laughs> yeah lucky number 13 and I know you got you guys have already had lunch and you've already been able to speak into his life and so this face-to-face horizontal is something that's actually missing from a lot of our lives yeah yeah, there's no way around this. I'm convinced of this more and more that um, if you want to make disciples, you, there's no skirting around this. There's no sidestepping it, taking a, 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 a way to uh, kind of jump over it or anything like that. Like you have to have this. There has to be face-to-face, life-on-life, and not just not just an occasional like, hey, what's up? How are you doing? I, I'll see you again in three months, like a superficial. Because we all know like that's right. Yeah. That's the culture of church. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, blessed and highly favored. Amen. Life is good. <laughs> no one says that. <laughs> At my old church, everybody would say that, I guarantee you. And so it's kind of like, really? You really feel like that? There's no way you feel that way every Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it, in order to strip away and, and have authenticity and and um, 
be able to really get into people's lives, it takes consistency. It takes time. It takes um, sacrifice, you know. And so I think it's so, so essential. So number one, if you want to be a disciple maker, you first have to be a disciple. Like you have to have this process in your life. And then if you want to make disciples, there's no way around it. You got you to gotta really pour your life face on face with some people. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be formalized as necessarily as like, will you disciple me? Will you mentor me? Right. Will you coach me? Which is fine. But it could just be in the rhythm and flow of a friendship. Yeah. You have a deep spiritual friendship. I mean, I think in a lot of ways you and I speak into each other's lives, but we don't put it on the calendar. Right. Um, we just, there's moments where we'll connect with each other. There's nothing wrong with putting things on the calendar. In fact, sometimes if you don't, the conversation never will happen. Yeah. So let me ask you this. If, if face-to-face vertical is probably, we would agree, is something you should be doing every single day, um, face-to-face horizontal, uh, how frequently in your experience should those conversations be happening, recognizing that maybe sometimes it's face-to-face? Maybe sometimes it's just a text back and forth. Yeah. But what have you learned? Because I know you've um, really poured your life into a lot of young leaders um, when you were working in Long Island. Yeah. It's difficult because the context is different, right? So college students are different than adults with children. And and, and um, so depending on your context, you have more or less time. And so one of the things that we came up with as kind of a helpful like starting point is we would say, all right, when you're discipling someone, here's, here's your, your grid. Kind of pray every day. So every day, pray for them, and that should be easy, right? To write their name in a list. When you spend your time with Jesus, pray for them. Uh, we would say connect with them once a week, and this could be a text. This could be a Facebook message. Uh, you're old-fashioned. You want to do an email or even a letter or a phone call. That's great, you know, uh, but once a week, just touch in with them. And, and what I've found is the simple thing of just saying, just texting someone saying, hey, I want you to know I was praying for you this morning, man. I hope you're doing well. I mean, you think that that's not a big deal, but for people, that is a huge deal mm-hmm. to know that you're thinking about them, you're praying for them, and how many times that that aligns with something they're really going through and struggling with. You know, So pray every day, connect once a week, and then we would say hang out once a month. Mm-hmm. And but basically that would look like is outside of any sort of you can't count church on Sunday morning, but it could be, hey, let's go out to lunch after church. You know, So outside of one of your reg- regular gatherings, hang out with them once a month. And, um, and, and our experience doing this for a few years is if people did that as the minimum, they saw a ton of fruit in making disciples. That's awesome. So face-to-face horizontal or face-to-face vertical, face-to-face horizontal, let's kind of shift to the second set here, uh, shoulder to shoulder. Um, when we talk about shoulder to shoulder, we're talking about shoulder to shoulder facing inward first. And this basically describes, I think this is probably the disciple-making environment that all of us are most familiar with. We probably don't need to spend a lot of time here. But it's, it's large groups and small groups. And it, it, it literally looks like people sitting shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. So with large groups, they're sitting shoulder to shoulder in rows on a Sunday morning typically. And I do think that that's an important disciple-making environment because it's a time where we provide gospel reminders through the teaching and through the singing so that there can be gospel response through the rest of the week. It's time that we come together and gain strength from each other, yeah. exercise spiritual gifts to build each other up. So a lot of people kind of are poo-pooing on the big Sunday morning services. I still think it's a, it's also very often a significant on-ramp for visitors just because it's traditional and comfortable. Like going to church on Sunday morning is not weird. Right. But some people use small groups as their on-ramp. That may work in some contexts, but honestly, I think for most unchurched people, it's a little weirder to say, do you want to come to someone's house to talk about the Bible right. versus do you want to just come to church with me on Sunday morning? They have yeah. some framework for a Sunday morning church service. Right. Um, 
and then there's small groups. And, and maybe we should do another whole podcast on small groups because there's so many different ways to utilize small groups. Yeah. But I think the larger your church gets, um, honestly, once you're probably over 30, 40 people, you need to begin to think about how are we going to connect these people in smaller communities for life-on-life um, discipleship? And what's the ultimate purpose of it? Is it just to share food and space? Are we asking the small groups to teach? Are we asking them to discuss? There's not a right or wrong answer, like in a vacuum, but there are right and wrong answers based on the context of your church and your overall discipleship strategy. Yeah, and I think to your point, um, how you do it is not as big of an issue as are you making it uh, a priority to get people together in in small groups. And I think one of the reasons why it's so important um, C.S. Lewis actually talks about this. He tells a story about one of his friends that passed, and he thought, well, at least I'll get more time with my other friends, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll get to, I'll get to know more about who they are. And basically what he realized is that the friend who had passed brought things out of those other friends that once he was gone, those things didn't come out anymore. So he said, I didn't get more of my friends. I actually got less of them. Yeah. And he compares that to the body of Christ as we're together with each other, with our different personalities and our different um, backgrounds. We actually help each shape each other, and we help bring out truths about who God is in a way that becomes impossible if we live kind of a solitary, isolated life. So the interaction that we have with each other, although sometimes it can be difficult and challenging, is essential for helping us become more like Jesus. Yeah, I totally agree. The last disciple-making environment is the idea of being shoulder-to-shoulder facing outward. And this is the idea that we don't just make disciples by giving people information and inspiration. Uh, we need to mobilize people both to serve and to really reach. Um, and so people grow doing service together, and it, it really builds community. You know, uh, when you—I uh, forget who, who said this, but the idea of, like, when you aim for community, sometimes you, you, you lose mission. But when you aim for mission, you get community along with it. And this is this disciple-making environment cannot be overlooked because people grow as they serve together and as they— um, live on mission together and kind of go to battle together, so to speak, fighting for the souls of uh, their their loved ones and their neighbors and their community. And churches need to be thoughtful, not just in creating service environments, service opportunities, and even outreach events, because those things can happen actually without being a disciple-making environment, in my opinion. You yeah. just run a great program or run a great outreach event. Have you really made disciples uh, in that process? Maybe but maybe not as effectively as you could with some intentionality. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good. And one other thing I, I would just say is um, discipleship is a process that happens pre-conversion to post-conversion, right? So it's not something we, th- we tend to think about evangelism and then discipleship. We get them saved, then we start to disciple them. But um, I, And I would fight the temptation that we can't, we believe we can't engage people in mission until there's some sort of level of Christian. And I, I would argue to your point that mission is a, is a huge part of discipleship because we were made, we were literally made and created to engage in the mission of God, right? To that, that's our wheelhouse. That's how we're designed. I think there's something powerful when we engage people in that, that even if they haven't really made a profession of faith in Jesus, or they don't really understand the gospel, there's something that's right about it. There's something that makes sense to them and actually shows them who God is in a real way that is hard to duplicate if you don't include them in those those uh, environments. Yeah, and and I know we got finished, but to your point, um, when were the disciples converted? 
when were the apostles converted, right? Yeah. Um, look at Peter specifically. I mean, what moment was it when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit? Was it his confession of faith? Um, was it in um, Galatians 2 when he realized he wasn't living in line with the gospel? I mean, of course, it wasn't that late. But you know what I mean? Like, sure. there's always this ongoing learning to follow and serve Jesus. And so this language of pre-conversion and post-conversion discipleship is helpful because it realizes no matter where they're at in their faith journey, the, the idea is they need to see, follow, love, serve Jesus, not just pray a prayer, make a decision, walk an aisle. God could use those things, of course. But ultimately, when evangelism is is um, pulled apart from discipleship, then evangelism can become purely transactional. Yeah. And we need to realize that discipleship is a lifelong thing before you know Christ, after you know Christ. You're still learning to see him, follow him, and serve him. So uh, just to recap, we have the disciple-making environments of face-to-face vertical, face-to-face horizontal, shoulder-to-shoulder facing inward. This encompasses small groups and large groups. And then shoulder-to-shoulder facing outward, uh, serving, living on mission. All right. Hopefully that was beneficial to you. We're going to end today with a little David Eats, and I'm actually going to ask David a little question. We're going to go off the typical uh, best thing you've eaten all week. I happen to know that David likes to grill pizzas. Mm. And if you didn't know, I, I, I became aware people don't realize this is a thing. But you can you can grill your own pizzas on yeah. your grill outdoors, and it's amazing. You should try it. So I want to ask, what is your favorite type of pizza to grill on your grill? So my favorite type of pizza is it's a white pizza. I get a um, I get a like um, oil with oregano sauce in it, and that kind of becomes the base for the pie. Then I use a mix of different Italian cheeses. Uh, the big grocery store up here is called Wegmans, and they give us, like, uh, you can buy a container of four different types of Italian cheeses all ready to go. And then I love to put clams. Mm. Seems weird, but clams. You cook the clams first before you put them on the pizza. Clams, and then I take pancetta, and I render it down so it's really crispy in a pan. And as it's almost done, throw in some chopped up leeks. And so then basically I just put cheese, clams, um, pancetta, leeks, and then once it's done, squeeze a lemon over the top, and my mouth is watering right now just talking oh, about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And I have a little confession to make. You one time made that for a barbecue we did, and I may have eaten it 24 hours later after it was sitting out. Oh, my God. And it was still delicious. It was still delicious. That is not an official Multiply Podcast recommendation. No, it's not. Hey, thanks, guys. This is a Multiply Podcast. We'll see you next time.